There we go. All right. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to another episode, episode seven of Drop the Mic, the Chamber podcast. I am Mo Delavo, your host, and I am the executive director of the Chamber of Greater East Hampton. Um, before we get started here today, uh, I want to thank our partners, um, East Hampton Media, Jen Ramsey, the executive director, and her team, Ryan Arnold, production coordinator, and Tim Riley, operations manager, for their help in helping make this vision, my vision um, of this podcast, come true and making us look really great and um, they're really excellent to work with. So, the point of our podcast is uh, I have the opportunity to chat with um, our chamber members, um, local people of interest, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and innovators, and I get to find out who they are, what they do, and most importantly, why they do it. And today, I have uh, my special guest, um, Joanne Marcusy. Did I pronounce that? You did. Marcusy with us today, and she is the CEO and president of Cooley Healthcare, and I'm really excited to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mo, for having me, and also thank you for all you do for the Chamber. Oh, thanks. So, you know, how the heck are you today? <laughs> today a good day for you? Uh, yes. So, um, you know, it's an interesting question to ask in this time of a pandemic, sort of how are you? But I think that uh, we certainly are in a new normal, but uh, we, uh, I and we at Cooley, I think are doing uh, very well given the circumstances. I'm really proud of our organization. Uh, and uh, we've certainly um, gone through a lot and learned a lot and uh, uh, are really appreciative to how supportive the community has been. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, it's really interesting. I, I made this observation yesterday when I was out and about, and of course, I, you know, I mask up whenever I leave Good. my home, and um, very important, and um, I was out and about, and it really struck me how uh, meaningful the phrase it's so good to see you really meant to me you know and even with folks in their their masks on I was like oh my god it's so good to see you <laughs> yeah so, and I, I feel like I can't um, miss the opportunity to use this uh, platform to really emphasize the issue about wearing masks and social distancing um, I know everybody hears it over and over but I'm sure, like me, you still see some people, hopefully not a lot, uh, not following all those important protocols. And uh, I worry that sometimes people think because we are doing relatively well in Western Mass <clears throat> compared to other parts of the country, um, that that somehow gives us permission to relax. And in fact, it's the opposite. And, right, uh, right. The but reason we're, we're doing well is because people have been good about it, but we need to be better and it can reverse very quickly. And by the time the, the trends are going in the wrong direction, it is, uh, it is a little too late to really start to, to be careful again. So I just encourage right. everybody who's listening to this. We will get back into doing, that. Yeah. But, we will get back into <laughs> okay. that. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss this opportunity. <laughs> Um, but before we get into that, I would like to take a little time just to get to know who you are. First, a little background. Who is Joanne Marcusy? Tell me about you. How did you get to, have you, are you a native of East Hampton? Have you always been here? You know, uh, 
So sure, so I'm definitely not a native of this area. Um, I, uh, I'm originally from New York and I, I always mention that because for those who are from New York, I feel like if you're from New York, you always have a little bit of New York in you. Yeah. Um, but I did spend most of my adult professional life in the Boston area. Um, and uh, I, so I moved here for the position, for the job of being president of Cooley Dickinson uh, about a little over six years ago. And uh, really did not know a lot about Western Mass, did not know a lot about the Pioneer Valley, probably was not much better than most Eastern Mass folks who think the world ends at 128 or maybe if they're really progressive, 495. Right. Um, so, um, and it's been great because I really, really love this community and this area. And uh, I'd like to think that I'm somewhat of an of a ambassador to um, explaining to people in Eastern Mass that there's life beyond the greater Boston area. Right, it's really kind of interesting. I, it's really, I didn't realize that we are on the same track. I came to East Hampton um, a little over, well, my job, my position here will be six years in October. So we're kind of oh, on the really? same, oh, yeah, okay. same timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came, I came in March of 2014. Oh, so it was in October 2014. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I absolutely love it. And I think that, I think it's interesting to especially being, I, I mean, I'm a native New Englander, but um, coming to East Hampton, I ju you just, it's, um, the, it was a whole new world to me, being here in this beautiful community. And um, I just feel so fortunate to be here. Yeah, no, I agree. It's I think, really like no other place. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, everyone knows it's got this wonderful mix of amazing outdoors, but also culture and all of that. But there's also this sense of community yeah. um, and support for one another and collaboration. And that I feel like people who've lived here most of their life take that for granted. And they think, well, of course, you know, and particularly for us, it's we collaborate a lot with community-based organizations and various local entities. and um, that is not necessarily the the norm in other parts. <laughs> no, there's so much more kind of competition or sort of uh, who's who's on top, who's in control. And here people just are like, okay, we all have different uh, skills and we have different uh, capacity to bring to the table and together we can absolutely do more than we can apart. And that is, again, really wonderful and not something you see everywhere. No, it's really true. And I think it's really a stark, it's a stark um, realization when you come from the outside, when you come from the outside, right? Yeah, yeah that's really cool. So, um, so COVID, how are you navigating through this? How are you doing? You know, it's, I mean, obviously I think about that a lot and I think back over the last <laughs> uh, five months now, is it? Four or five uh, months. Um, and it is, you know, I'm, I'm sure other people experience this very strange sense of time. Is March eons ago or is it yesterday? And I think it's sort of both. I mean, it's been such a whirlwind and we've had to react so quickly. Um, but when I think back to all that we didn't know in March and all that we had to learn, it's, it's amazing. Um, and I don't know if somebody said in early March, this is going to last for months and months and months, whether that would have been helpful or not. Um, and so I think we just were trying to sort of learn as we went along. And, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously some, uh, 
silver linings in COVID like any crisis. And I think one of them is we learned as an organization how quickly we can learn and change. <clears throat> you know, we're relatively large for organization for this area. And sometimes that means you have bureaucratic processes and uh, lots of stakeholders you want to check in with, but it can mean that you're slower to really respond and react and modify what you do. And uh, we learned we could turn on a dime in a good way and we could change what we were doing. And if three days later, new information came out, we could change again. Um, right. And so I hope we maintain that sense of uh, kind of constant learning and constant ability to question what we're doing and do it differently. I think that's a really interesting point, and I think that probably, you know, percolates out to everyone, you know, and, and then we really did realize how quickly we can change. You know, sometimes as human beings, we're just like, right. no, I don't want to change. I think I want to change, but then, you know, when it comes around to brass tacks, it's, there's a lot of resistance there a lot of times, and then and we just don't have a choice. You know, as human beings right now, we have to change. Right. But I think it's taught people that they are more capable of figuring out creative solutions than they thought and doing that really quickly. Um, and so even getting beyond the, I like the way I'm doing things, I think people have more confidence that they can, they can deal with those challenges. Right. Right. Which is really an ess the essence of how an entrepreneur thinks, right? That's what right. drives them. Lar and large organizations in healthcare is not known for its entrepreneurship. But how exciting! <laughs> We have this new thing, and especially for, you know, like you said, as a hospital, as a large organization, that's, that's really incredible. So, so um, I really want to, to, to speak with you on the topic of, of leadership. You know, you are the leader of, of a very large um, organization, resilient, um, you know, um, pivoting, and I hate that word because it's so overused at the moment, but, you know, adapting to change. And I just was, I'm wondering, if you might be able to give me um, what your thought was on leadership in January and what your thought is on leadership in general now. Has so it changed? Yeah, so certainly things have changed, but there's a bunch of things that I think um, stayed the same and that uh, surviving or thriving through this only reinforce the importance of some things that I've always believed about leadership, that um, the importance of leading from values, the importance of being honest, showing your own vulnerability, uh, creating the relationships so people will trust you. And that was really, really important during this. People were being flooded with information from so many sources, some of them uh, credible and some of them not. Uh, and I think uh, it was, uh, interesting to recognize how much people look to Cooley and to me as its leader for, in, for, for credible information. And that was a little scary because there were certainly things that none of us knew, but recognizing that we could play a role in the community beyond the obvious ones of providing healthcare um, right. to, to be a source of truth that people trusted. Um, right. and, uh, and to be honest about what we knew and what we didn't know. So there are lots of things like that, things like, I mean, I've always, as a non-clinician, so I'm not necessarily a typical uh, hospital or healthcare leader, because I didn't come up through being a nurse or a doctor or a rehab therapist or any of those things. Um, and uh, so I've always had a lot of 
respect for clinicians and I've known, I've always thought it was really important to know what I know and what I don't know and then mm -hmm. to surround yourself with people you can ask. But that certainly got amplified during COVID. Um, the, uh, you know, respect for what the clinicians not only knew, but what those caregivers were going through and knowing that no matter how much intellectually I understood it, emotionally, I really couldn't know right. what it was like to be caring for that, for people who were sicker than we usually see and to be caring for people knowing that you didn't know exactly the right thing to do. Now we're in a different place. I mean, we certainly have a lot more knowledge in general in healthcare across the country of how to care for COVID patients, but there was a lot of kind of, you know, trying and figuring out what worked for patients and for people who spend their, you know, hours and hours with patients to know that they're doing their best, but they don't have all the information or the tools yet, um, emotionally is really hard. So, um, you know, I just reckon, I guess I have the humility to, I recognize how much, whatever challenges I went through, um, that the uh, emotional and um, physical challenges that the caregivers who were caring for COVID patients went through, and then all of our staff, because they were so much uh, living in this risky world. Now we know more about it. I'm very confident about masks and all that, but we didn't know that at the beginning. You know, right. remember all the fear people had, but people who didn't work, you know, who weren't in essential roles could protect themselves more. Right. And our staff were right out there. Um, so I just, I guess it uh, reminded me how incredible the caregivers are and the kinds of challenges they go through. Um, we certainly uh, learned how much we are fortunate to be part of Mass General, uh, yeah. you know, both in terms of the kinds of PPE we were able to get, the supplies, the equipment, but also just the best practices. And, you know, we were on calls every day to learn, okay, we just learned this about the virus. We just learned this about treatments. We just learned this about what to be careful with. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I came here. I wanted to be in a community healthcare setting that was part of a larger system because I don't believe that, I, I know that there's so there's a limit to how much any relatively small organization, we're large for this community, but small in healthcare, right, can right. really have all of the bandwidth, all of the resources, all of the knowledge. So it was, it was really great. And, you know, as much as we miss the personal relationships, all of this Zoom calls has actually made it easier for us to connect into our parent organization. Right. Um, you know, it used to be that maybe once a month or twice a month, I would drive to Boston to go to meetings and now I can be involved in meetings. And so can our clinicians and our other leaders with people from throughout the system and throughout the state. I actually worked a lot more closely with the uh, leaders of the other local hospitals, Bay State and Mercy and Holyoke, and that was somehow, you know, it was facilitated by the fact that we just get on these quick calls, that we were all facing the same crisis, that competition wasn't the issue. Um, so in many ways, we actually ended up collaborating more. I love that. I love that. So um, I want to, um, <clears throat> I'm interested in, you know, you were talking about honesty and, and vulnerability and <clears throat> just being able to communicate. I have found through my own journey of leadership that, you know, the more honest I can be about A, what's going on with me, and B, what's going on with the organization, 
the more um, the more embracing folks are and understanding, and they're like, well, okay, yeah, I get why you're doing that, you know, as opposed to to kind of like sugarcoating things. Yeah, I think that's really um, it was a valuable lesson for me. No, I totally agree. I think it's really important to. Um, especially in a community like this where the personal relationships and personal trust are so important that uh, people have to know that you're going to tell them when things don't go well, you're going to tell them what you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the only way they're going to, they're going to believe you. And uh, you know, I think that is true for how we communicate with the broader audience, sort of all the community stakeholders. Yeah. I think it's as true for the sort of one-on-one -on -one relationships you have in a job, whether you're a CEO or a direct supervisor, that uh, people uh, have to know that you're going to tell them the truth, whether it's uh, good or bad. It's very interesting, too, to me to, to, to witness how um, it's almost like an elixir, like a tonic for anxiety. It helps folks to say, okay, I don't need to be as anxious about this, right? Because of the honesty and the, and the transparency that's coming my way. I can, they're working on it. They don't know the answer, but they're figuring it out. You know, so that's, I feel like in an odd way that really does help with um, anxiety. Yeah, although I think we, we got reminded again, it wasn't something, you know, we didn't know as leaders, but during this process that people need to hear yeah. messages over and over and over and particularly when there's anxiety it is it is you know challenging and to and and when in an environment where you're hearing so much information so reminding ourselves to that saying it once doesn't isn't enough right. and then this issue it's an interesting challenge in a time of covid particularly early on of showing that vulnerability being honest not sugarcoating and yet not showing panic um, well, right. There's a difference. There's a difference between being um, an alarmist yeah. and being honest. Yeah, that's right. balance. Yeah, totally. but there were certainly, you know, there were, there were days early on where, you know, I, I, I was like, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. This is, you know, especially watching what happened in New York City. Oh, my dear. What if that happens here? Yep. And what will we do? And how will, how will I as a leader help navigate through that and not knowing, oh my God, that seems so hard. But that, again, showing vulnerability without, but, but while people look to leaders to know that they can be, um, that they don't have to panic and that they can, are remaining calm. If leader, you know, it's like what we always say, if you go on an airplane and the, um, the, the uh, flight attendant looks panicked, that's not a good thing. <laughs> right? And I think it's interesting too that you're in a position where you're, you have like two leadership roles. You have your internal team, right? Your um, Cooley Dickinson healthcare staff and team. Um, and that's everybody within those, that system. And then you have the general public, you know, that's how, is that different? Yeah, I would actually say I thought more and more recently with COVID that I have three sort of oh. so there's definitely the the external community um and the role that we play as the sort of you know sole healthcare provider major healthcare provider in this community to be their source of information um and then there is the internal staff 
particularly the frontline staff. And what changed with COVID is the inability to have those direct connections with them. I typically, before COVID, would be up on the nursing floors every day. And so, you know, while there's certainly staff you don't see for months and months, um, and particularly those who are offsite, at least you're connecting with frontline staff and have a sense of what's going on. And then the third, which is a little different, are the sort of direct leaders, other leaders. Because them, those folks I was connecting with, but in a different way because you're on Zoom, but at least there was a relationship. So recognizing that what worked for my sort of direct reports and the other leaders wasn't translating necessarily to feeling just that human connection with our frontline staff. And, uh, you know, I've just started to round again, um, feeling that it's safe and comfortable. And actually, I've talked to each of the directors to say, what will your staff feel comfortable with? And so, for example, in, um, the emergency department where we are still not allowing visitors in, the nursing director said appropriately, I think it will send the wrong message. You're not needed to provide clinical care. You're not, you know, and so to come for those communications will feel inconsistent. So I'm gonna do something differently for them. On the inpatient floors where we do have visitors, you know, I felt more comfortable, I can go up. I don't go into the patient rooms, which I used to do. Um, so sort of figuring out new ways to create those personal connections, right. um, I think has been a challenge. Right, right. Um, so speaking about um, leadership in, in general, and you, um, because of COVID, uh, we were very excited to have um, you be a, a part of our women's conference in um, 2020, but because of um, gathering sizes and things of that nature, we we're postponing that until 2021. So, um, but speaking about women leadership in particular, is that, what are your, um, um, thoughts or your, um, focus in that area? Um, so I love to think about and talk about women leaders and to connect to other women leaders. Um, you know, I certainly um, know, believe and know that, that sexism continues to be an issue. Um, it may be more subtle in healthcare because there are so many women in leadership roles. It may be more subtle and less, uh, destructive in a place like the Pioneer Valley, um, but it exists. And I think um, that, you know, in the same way that we all have, uh, you know, racial biases, mm -hmm. we have sexism biases. So, um, but I have been, um, I also think there's tremendous uh, strength and um, advantages in being a woman leader. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is that women leaders help other women leaders. It's a really strong network. Uh, mm. And I have women who I rely on for personal and professional advice and support from all different parts of my career. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think it's coincidence that most of those are women. And mm -hmm. similarly, I've, uh, you know, coming out here as somebody who didn't know this community was lonely. It was hard. And then if right. you if you're a CEO, that's a lonely job. And I care about friendships and community. And the, um, one of the ways that I've kind of created community here is to connect to other women leaders, particularly of not-for-profits. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so uh, I feel like there's a whole network of women leaders who, uh, who have my back, I have their back, and we, we help each other. Both That's by awesome. being there for advice, but also it's like, can you help me figure out how to do this? Or can you help me um, with resources that there's just this real kind of loyalty and support. So that's a, that's a positive. And then I think in general, um, women, uh, just given the way we've been enculturated, uh, are naturally more willing to admit what they don't know, sometimes to a fault, right? Yeah. Sometimes we put ourselves down. Sometimes we have the whole uh, yeah. concern that we're not worthy of our roles and, you know, I have that as much as anybody else. Um, but I think it can be a positive because we are willing to be uh, honest and open about what we don't know and then rely on others and not need to have sort of our ego get in the way. That's not to suggest there are no men who have those qualities. No, I know, right, right. Um, but I think, you know, I think there are, uh, there are certainly ways that, that women uh, have advantages uh, in terms of their leadership uh, role. And then there's challenges we have too. So who is, um, is there one prominent woman leader that you look up to? So I don't think there's one. And even when people ask me who was your one mentor, I feel like, um, you know, one of the things as you move up in leadership, and I tell this to younger women that particularly or younger people who come and ask for advice is there's no leader who has it all. And the yeah. higher up you get, the more you realize that that you're not there there isn't some boss who's going to be perfect but each you know you try to find the people who have different qualities that you can learn from um and also i actually have learned a lot from some bad bosses mm -hmm. um, bad leaders so you can learn as much from watching what not to do right um, but i think a couple of people that um i have sort of thought about in the recent particularly in the recent months and i can tell you why are two of them are one is more healy Oh. I have tremendous respect for it. And the other is um, Jacinda Ardern. I think oh. I'm pronouncing her name right. She's the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Oh, right. And yeah. And so I've just, I mean, I kind of like to find leaders who aren't the typical ones that people turn to. Right. Um, and I think both of them have that incredible honesty. I mean, the times when I've heard um, either of them speak, you just know that they are, they are being honest and, and admitting what they know and don't know, um, and really though leading from values. Um, and then particularly as women having incredible courage to own their, their um, what they believe is right to do, even if it's not popular. And I think it's yes. hard for women, we want to yes. be right. Um, and they both exhibit leadership without ever bullying. Right. You know, there's there's this sort of there's no there's no yelling there's no imposing their opinion they just believe in what they believe in they'll try to make those changes they're willing to be disliked by some if that takes it um, and just and always seem calm even though I'm sure that they're great they I assume they aren't so you know right. it's been it's been great to watch both of them so if you were able to have lunch with either one of those women is what is the one burning question that you might ask them? I think I would ask them if they would share with me where they do feel afraid and what insecurities they have. Right. Because I think it helps for others of us 
just to know that even people who we look up to that much, right, know that you know there were nights that they didn't sleep because they worried about what the uh, Boston Globe or whatever the national newspaper in New Zealand is that I don't know um, what they would say about them and how they don't let that bother them. Um, right. Or, or how, how does it bother them, but not then impact their ability to leave? I think that's what I would want to ask. And I, I think that as woman to woman, they would, I think they'd both be honest about that. Nice, nice. So um, you had just um, mentioned, you know, talking about these two women about, you know, they're, they're moving forward, put out what they're believing and, and, and um, leading by value. And it, kind of bringing me back to a segue so back to masks <laughs> and um you know i had put out a um we our new our monthly newsletter went out last week and i had gotten a prior just prior to that i i always put a little of my own thought into that letter also for my own brain and um i had a conversation with a local business owner and he had um shared with me about a confrontation that he had had with um, a customer coming into the place of business without a mask and it turned confrontational and I was like oh it just broke my heart and I was and I found that by the time I got into my car I was actually kind of angry because it was like you know it's so not fair it is so not fair you know I get they're uncomfortable I get that you know we don't want to be wearing them all, all you know all day long which will bring me back to your staff your frontline staff again too um, but I just felt like I had to say in my newsletter, hey, this is really not negotiable. It's, it's you know, they're all of our local business owners are, are trying so hard to, to, to be open again, some of them, because they were not essential. Yeah. So reopening, um, stay open and, and maintain their livelihoods. And, you know, some of these regulations that we need to follow are costly and some aren't. And wearing a mask is not costly. So... It's not negotiable. And so if you care about your community, you care about your local economy, you care about your local business owners, wear the mask. Yeah. And I was nervous about putting that out because I was like, uh. No, I know what you mean. I have the same challenge because to be honest, it makes me angry too. And I, I don't understand it. I, I feel like really it's not that hard and people do it. And so it's so hard for me to understand the people who are resisting it. I understand people who may forget or, you know, just, yes. um, but I, I don't understand. And I feel like it is so selfish because it's one thing if you're taking, you know, your own health and life into risk. So it's hard for me. And, and I, but I know that in all, that shaming people is not the best way to influence and change behavior. No. On the other hand, this one just feels like, really? Yeah, I know. How can you do this, and then you know, and then and then be upset when when you know there is an outbreak. And so, I have struggled with that because part of me wants to go out there and say to people, um, you know, you have to do that. And I've started to a little bit in a gentle way because right. I just feel like I can't, I can't stay silent. And so, without I think without shaming, but I actually went to my first. Um, store this weekend uh, oh, I had to buy a vacuum cleaner which is really important during COVID right okay. and mine died and I'm like I have to I'm going to the store I can't order this online and okay. there were people in the store you know who weren't quite wearing it correctly right over their mouth and I I said something because I hope that they weren't doing it on purpose but for those who just uh. refuse 
It's yeah. crazy. So somehow we have to create without shaming because shame right. won't help, but create enough peer pressure that it would feel uncomfortable. People would be embarrassed to be seen like that. Right. You know, I'm sure that there was a period of time when we first were told we should wear bike helmets. And I'm sure I was one of those kids who said, that is so dorky looking. No way. Now, I was only risking my own health, bad enough. But um, now it's, right, kids are like, well, of course I do this, or wearing seatbelts. And so how we, or even when people first started to have to uh, use um, universal precautions in healthcare and that providers would put on gloves, you know, and, and we have to get to the point where people feel uncomfortable with it. Hopefully then we'll get a vaccine and it won't be forever. But uh, yeah, I think we... I, I, I think we all have to play a role in speaking up so that people will start to feel uncomfortable about not wearing masks. So I also make it my business to make sure that I watch um, the governor's press, press conferences when, they, when he has them. And one of the last ones, um, putting your pol politics aside, but he, there was a question asked about, um, you know, face coverings and precautions and all that sort of stuff. And again, and I, he, he really was on the verge of being emotional because he was really like, hey, look at, you know, and I'm sure he had witnessed, you know, live, you know, uh, on hospital floors, people trying to do their job. And he was really going, he really made a plea to if nothing else, can you just stop and think about those healthcare workers who are on the line day in and day out who are just now starting to maybe have some time off a day or some hours or so something and i thought that was really it was really powerful for for me to hear him talk yeah about well, that I, yeah and i think he's actually an example of where uh somebody who um is always so calm right that when he gets emotional it can be very impactful it was. It was really powerful. And it's, you know, and it's not necessarily um, the healthcare providers, but it's all the support staff, too, that has to, you know, that's, you know, taking away trash. That's got to be handled in another way. And yeah, so it's really so much bigger than ourselves, all of it, right? So masks, wash your hands, six feet apart, small, small gatherings. No, no. No big gatherings. Right. Um, so I have a question for you as we're getting ready to close out. Um, are you a reader? Yes. <laughs> Not that you have time right now to be reading, but do you enjoy reading? Some of us do, and some of us could take it or leave it. Although I've just um, said, would anybody in my position go, oh, no, I don't read? That would seem I know, good. right? That was kind of like a, that was a loaded question. But I, I do. Should know that. <laughs> so what are you currently reading right now? Uh, so actually, I'm... I typically read nonfiction, but I'm now in a book group and it's been oh. really, that I just joined about a year and a half ago. And it's been really good because it forces me out of my, the things I would typically choose to read. Um, Cause I often read a lot of like historical books or politics. So I'm reading a novel called The Other Americans. Um, oh. And it's about um, various immigrant groups and the sort of relationships to uh, the criminal justice system and their relationships to each other, but it's just very well written and, and powerful. I mean, I definitely enjoy reading things with sort of more social justice, political messages. 
right, um, right. and uh, yeah, so I really, it's, I, I'm enjoying that. Bigger stories and bigger pictures. Yeah, and um, you know, it's some people I know use reading to, or even watching TV or movies to escape from their real life. I've always really, I mean, I watch every movie and TV show about hospitals. <laughs> right. Um, and I, you know, I just, I, I enjoy watching. I've watched a lot of, uh, and read a lot about various issues on racism. And, um, I feel like it helps me kind of put into some structure and logic, the things that I feel emotionally about right. troubling about the world, particularly right now. Right. Well, we are at the end of our time. And I want to thank you so much for joining me and um, on our podcast. And is there anything that we didn't cover that you want everyone to know? Or maybe there is a little something that they didn't know that you want to share? Um, I think that uh, really to know how much it has meant to the people at Cooley to know that the community supports us. And, um, you know, whether that's through the signs people did or thank you notes, um, I always say people should give us feedback. I wanna hear good feedback and, and negative feedback. Right. Um, but I think some people sometimes don't realize how much uh, hearing when they, they, they are appreciated that the providers and the staff knowing that. So I just wanna thank the community because they have really gone out of their way to demonstrate how much the staff here mean to them and how much they appreciate what they've gone through. Very, very nice. And we want everyone to know that the hospital, Cooley Dickinson Healthcare, is open for business. Yes. Right? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for cueing me on that. Yes. We are, we are, um, we are very much open for business and we definitely like hospitals throughout the country have seen that there are people who stayed away from care, and I understand that it was a scary time, but stayed away from care when they should have come from care, for care. And so there are lots of ways to interact with physicians and others through uh, video or telephone, but also if you need to come for care, uh, we have really made sure that this is a safe place. That's why we have lots of rules you'll have to follow. You will not be allowed into the hospital without a mask. We do limit visitors. Um, so all of those things that can be annoying are only to protect you. And really, we have seen the data and seen hear, heard anecdotes of people who, you know, had appendicitis and, and just were trying to suffer at home because they, oh, no. oh, you know, either it's not safe to come to the hospital or they felt like, oh, the hospital has so much else to worry about. We are here to provide that care and uh, we don't want people to, uh, to suffer at home. So please reach out when you need care and feel comfortable that it's here for you. I do have a little anecdote. I, uh, so let's see, we were closed down the second week in March and I think it was the first or second week in April. I was here working and I was doing some other things in between uh, Zoom meetings and I broke my foot. Oh no. Broke my foot. I thought, here I thought I was gonna get into shape. Right. right? I'm working from home. I have more time to go do. No, none of that. So, but I have to say, I ended up at um, Cooley Dickinson Urgent Care in Southampton, oh. and they were marvelous, marvelous. I was in a panic. I could feel myself going into shock because it was like a pain, like I can't even tell. Oh my god! And then, um, and they were like, "Yes, 
come in, we can help you. Cause I was, it was so early. I didn't want to go to the emergency right. room. Right. right? Um, but they were wonderful. And from there um, to the um, orthopedic folks in Hatfield. So it was all really, really great. Oh. And are you very able, positive? Are you able to walk now? I am. I'm, I'm, I, I only needed a boot. Okay. Good. Um, just a boot. But I am able to walk. I'm not 100%. Yes. There's no running. No, had, had you tried to suffer at home, you would have made it worse. Oh, my God. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I could feel myself going, no, panic. So if there was, is, is there a place where you would want folks to go? Is there a website if they have questions or a number or anything any, that you would like to share? Uh, yes. And I'm going to, I don't know it on, off the top of my head. We have a call center number that people can call. They so can get you can on your also, website probably. Yeah, you go on our website. And also if you ever want to just give us feedback, you can do that through the website as well. But we do have a call center that's open quite extended hours. Uh, and if people are looking, if they're looking for a primary care provider, which, um, we have, uh, we have people who have open panels who can take on new patients or just needing information about testing uh, or about COVID or anything else, they absolutely can call. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you to the world for joining us for Drop the Mic Chamber podcast. I want to thank uh, East Hampton Media, Jen Ramsey and her team. They're awesome. And um, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, Mo. And thank you for everything you do. Yeah. All right.